0: and expand your erotic potential and possibilities. Hello, and welcome to the Sexual Alchemy Podcast. Today, I have a great guest for you. We had a really amazing chat. His name is Roy Graff. Roy offers coaching, support, education, and mentoring to individuals and couples plus in the field of conscious relationships, openness, honesty, and intimacy. He believes that we each have a relationship dynamic that fits us and supports clients in figuring out what that is. His business, Open Relating, is about creating and maintaining conscious, connected, and autonomous relationships, regardless of their dynamic and how many people are involved. Doing so requires, first, an honest, unflinching look at our own vulnerabilities, fears, needs, wants, and desires. I really wanted to have someone on the show who could talk about different relationship styles, like open relationships and polyamory and all of that, because I hadn't addressed that yet. And I think the conversation with Roy will be very eye-opening for all of you. So just so you know, monogamy might be right for you, and that's great. And there are lots of other relationship styles possible. Have a listen. Welcome to the Sexual Alchemy Podcast. Roy, I'm really delighted to have you here. Would you tell us a bit about yourself?
1: Hi. Yeah, it's great to be here. Um, So, uh, my name is Roy. I have a website called openrelating.love. I run an Instagram account with content on conscious relationships called Open Relating. And my work is mostly around helping people build conscious, open, autonomous relationships. I'm not so concerned with the dynamic that it is, whatever it's right for them. Uh, I work with individuals, couples, and uh, multiples as well, like the multiple partner relationships. And I'm also a trainee psychotherapist. I myself uh, practice polyamory. I've been doing this for the last uh, 11 years. And I live in London, but I work with clients all over the world.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And so just for listeners who this might be new to, can you say a little bit about what is open relating and what is polyamory? Kind of open that out a little bit.
1: Of course. Well, open relating is really about the concept that our relationships ideally would be very open in the communication, in how much you share of yourself, in knowing yourself, knowing your partner, in authentic connecting. It's different from an open relationship, right? So you can be, for example, monogamous, but practice open relating in the way that you communicate, in the way that you show yourself and you show up in the relationship. Polyamory is a relatively new word, um, and it's made up of uh, two different words, one poly, many, and amory, love. So it's basically um, Greek and Latin uh, mixed together, mashed up together. And it is about the capability and capacity to hold love for multiple people at the same time. That comes with a particular relationship dynamic, which I term multigamy, multiple relationships. And other people might have heard of the terms non-monogamy, ethical non-monogamy, consensual non-monogamy. There's various ways of talking about that. So, for example, an open relationship or a triad relationship where three people, all of those kind of relationships will fall under the multigami structure as an umbrella term. And you can be polyamorous in terms of like your capacity to love, and then you can choose a relationship dynamic that fits you. For example, there are people who are polyamorous in their nature, but they are in a monogamous relationship for different reasons. Could be that they don't have a lot of time, that they're really want to focus on one person right now because of limited energies. It could be because of various fears and tra- trauma responses that trigger jealousy. So it means that they want to do it, but they just can't go there yet because of that. Similarly, you could be a, mo- a mono person, and that is a, your romantic uh, capacity, again, to love one person at a time, different from monogamy, because you could be mono and be with a partner who's polyamorous, and p- be perfectly fine for them to see other people, but you are very content with one person. And again, those things work when there's a lot of self-love, self-security, self-confidence, and, and know that you can meet a lot of your own needs by yourself. You don't need your partner always to fulfill the needs for you. And then those relationships can also work. Yeah.
0: It's very there's a lot of nuance to it, isn't there? Because the and we started to talk about it before we hit record. So there's loving being in a romantic, loving relationship with more than one person. And there's also that would be polyamorous, right? Yes. And please correct me if I'm wrong because I'm really not sure. I, I think I understand these terms, but I really may not. So do correct me at any time. So you could be in a polyamorous relationship, which means that you or both of you are in multiple romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. And then you could also be in an open relationship, which I understand is not what you meant by open relating. Which is you might be monoamorous, so have a primary romantic relationship with one person, but you are sexually with other people. Is that yes, right?
1: That's right. yeah, that's exactly right. So um, <laughs> it kind of also always depends on the agreement you make with your partner if you have a primary partner. Some people don't want um, primary, a primary partner. They don't want to live with somebody, right? So and then you can and you can still be monoamorous but sexually active with more, more people. Uh, or you can be polyamorous, but choose to live alone and have several partners that you have a love, romantic, and sexual relationship with, but none of them is a primary. You practice what's called uh, egalitarian or non-hierarchical polyamory. Mm. And that's different from a hierarchical polyamory that often involves having a primary anchor partner, sometimes referred to as a nesting partner, somebody you kind of build a nest with, a home with. And by default, they might become your priority. Mm -hmm. It could be because of financial reasons, could be because of children, could be again, purely because of choice. We often refer to the, the necessities of life that make somebody a priority for you, a descriptive hierarchy. So Mm -hmm. it's a hierarchy that just happens because of the the circumstances Mm -hmm. versus a prescriptive hierarchy, which is you decide you want to have some exclusivity with one partner as a way of feeling safe and secure in the relationship. And that's why it's really important that certain things are exclusive only to you that they, that they can't do and you can't do with anybody else. Right. right. Then you form rules and agreements around that to protect that primary relationship. Yeah. Generally, my personal view is that it's always a compensation for an insecurity looking into, um, To create rules to protect and prioritize or make build exclusivity into one relationship that favors it over others is around wanting that security in the relationship because you don't feel it yourself so a lot of the work that i do with clients is to help them find their own security right their own self-confidence their own abilities to meet some needs that feel make them feel emotionally secure and they're not looking for the structural part of it to give them that security that makes sense
0: it's really interesting because i saw you talking about that area of things on instagram and i at first i was like "Mm, wait what Mm, you know and then i was thinking about it and i and i wouldn't mind chatting around it a little bit if you're open to it because i think that much of what you're saying to me applies to any relationship where one or more parties are attempting to bring really there's full self awareness and conscious awareness to the relationship, so that could be monogamous, whether by choice or default, or multiple partners. Like you, you were saying about um, I'm trying to think of what your words were open relating mm-hmm. to me, that that it would be inherent <laughs> in any relationship, whereas I know it's not, but to me, like, I was like, wait a minute, you wouldn't be completely open and honest with your partner like what are you building (laughs) you know so to me that's inherent in any relationship that I hold dear whether that's romantic or not you know so it's interesting to me that it's a piece that you've you've pulled out because people need to highlight it and look at it and examine it and you know figure it out.
1: Well, I think that for people who have done, taken the time to do some introspe- introspection and soul searching to figure out what it is, that they, what are their needs, right? What kind of boundaries they need for themselves to make sure those, these needs are met. These are people that maybe are already conscious enough to actually say, you know what, I, I want to be transparent with my partner. I want to bring whatever my needs and fears and insecurities and, and desires to my partner. I want to be able to talk about anything and everything. That is an ideal, and when you do that, you're not afraid to talk about the difficult things, right? But what what I often see, and and I think you'll probably you see that with your clients a lot as well, is that people are so afraid that whatever they think and say will lead to rejection, will lead to ostracizing the partner, will lead to the partner being hurt and therefore reject them. And out of fear of rejection, fear of abandonment, they withhold.
0: Yeah, they um
1: they minimize themselves. Yeah. Right. They try to convince themselves that they don't want what they actually want. They put their partner's needs first. All of those things that unfortunately society as a whole is teaching us is a ideal romantic relationship. You know, put your partner before yourself, um, sacrifice yourself for love. All those things are ideas that we absorb from fairy tales, from movies, from, you know, from Disney. So they're all around us. And it's really hard to deprogram, to unlearn a lot of these, what I call monogamy myths, you know, these kind of mythologies around monogamy that essentially keep us. Shackled in a structure that doesn't fit everybody. Some people work great in monogamy and that's great for them, but many people do not. They yeah. just don't realize it. And when they do, they're there, they might be afraid to do something about it because of the reaction of the partner or their family or society.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure.
1: Which is why I'm trying to make my work quite public and reach mm-hmm. out to people. So if somebody can hear about it, they'll be like, okay, maybe I am, maybe I'm not, but what's the harm in finding out and figuring out what's the right? dynamic for me what's the right way of loving for me personally
0: right and and you know as you're talking i'm thinking you know like generally as, as a society or culture we encourage people to try new foods or to try you know go to a, see different art than you would like or try a different film and why not examine what is your true relationship style it might be monogamous but rather than that being default because it's what you were taught was safe or right yeah at least examine, you know, it's interesting. Do you, you, do you know the work of Darcy Easton? Yes. Yeah. So years ago, she was giving a talk in London and my partner and I took a friend of his to see her. And he had been in and out of many relationships and he he really wanted to be in a relationship, but he couldn't kind of find his way. And you could see as he was listening to Darcy talk about polyamory and open relationships, whatever, his eyes were getting wider and wider and wider. And at the end of it, he said, I didn't know that was allowed. You know, he's like, I think that's what's been wrong in my relationships. He said, I I think I'm polyamorous, but I've been trying to be monogamous and it's not working. And so for him, it was just like you could see a weight lifted off his chest, you know, that there was another way. Even if it wasn't big in the news yet, even if it wasn't, you know, that there were people <laughs> that were doing it and it he had it was like it gave him permission.
1: Yeah, and that's pretty much what happened to me and how, how I discovered it. You know, I was in long-term monogamous relationships for many years. I was married in the past, I tried to build the ideal nuclear family, etc. For me, that didn't work, and it kept not working out. And I and I always struggled to understand why. What's wrong with me that I can't make long-term monogamous relationships work? Why do I get bored or you know with routine? Why do I um start thinking about other women when I'm when I'm with somebody that I know I love and I was very ashamed of it Mm. and I couldn't talk to well most of the time I couldn't talk to my partner about the fact that I'm attracted or have feelings for somebody else because that was wrong right Right. and I didn't know I didn't know the vocabulary I didn't know there was another way until I was single and I met somebody online and we had a date and she just told me look I'm non-monogamous I want to be polyamorous this is like how this is how I date and I just, yeah, it was like a lightning bolt, you know, just kind of a flashlight, just, whoa, it's a thing, you can do that. And right. and you can just talk about it openly. So mm-hmm. I, 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 yeah, that changed my life completely. And I never look back. Yeah. And I like the analogy about like trying different foods or traveling to different countries and seeing different cultures. I love that analogy. I do believe that we have some kind of, you know, taboo around sex and relationships mm-hmm. that's limiting people. And your work around removing all the taboos from sexuality is great. And uh, I think that one of the things that uh, often happens when you explore different relationship dynamics is also you are exposed to different people much more. You are then exposed to different ways of talking and doing sex, uh, right. of connecting with people physically. And that gives you this broad canvas. So figuring out what's right for you often depends one, on exposure, and two, on knowing how to tell what's right. Yes. Knowing how to actually feel in your body what speaks to me, what is the right thing. right? And then that's, uh, again, I think a lot of people struggle with that. They're not fully connected to their body, to their feelings. So I think that needs to happen before you even start exploring. I think the worst thing you can do is start exploring with permission, ideally, of your partner if you're in a partnership, but doing it unconsciously. You're Like, oh, mm-hmm. I can get oh. a lot of sex now, so I'm just gonna go and fuck lots of people. <laughs> um, yeah. and not actually taking the time to understand that this is very much about self-discovery and about like finding the path. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I just want to like applaud what you just said because I, you know, I know many, 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 many people who are non monogamous, polyamorous, you know, open relationships that. All the ways, you know. I know lots of people, and lots of monogamous couples as well, of various genders and and whatnot. And bottom line for all of them is, you know, you can use a relationship or multiple relationships as a container for self growth and self awareness. But it must be done with consciousness. Whether you've got one partner or fifty, you know. And when I was moving through the neo tantra scene in the UK you know, 10, 15 something years ago, I did see a lot of, this is my take on it and I could be really wrong, but I my take was there were a lot of people who were awakening to their sexual self, awaken like finally feeling it either switch on or feeling some freedom in it and thinking now I'm polyamorous because I want to go out and have sex with everyone. And it was like, mm, you might be, and it's great to test it out for sure, but what's your truth? just come back to your truth. And I saw relationships break up because one of the partners was like, oh, but I'm sexually liberated. So I have to go fuck everyone now. And I was like, "Mm, that's not what sexually liberated is, you know, and it may or may not inform your relationship or your romantic truth as well. I think we started on that before the podcast as well, is that there's relationship style and then there's your sexual expression and they may or may not cross over, right?
1: Exactly, exactly. And also, I mean, on that topic, you can be asexual, but polyamorous and polyamorous. And there Wait. are polyamorous relationships that don't involve sex, but they're very valid. And just because the sex is not in- included in that doesn't mean you don't have a very valid relationship. And what's beautiful about, about that kind of exploration and understanding the differences between romantic connection, sexual connection and relationship dynamic is that, uh, as well as gender and orientation and things like that. Is that you can design the kind of relationships that fit you precisely mm-hmm. by taking what you need from each one of those quadrants. Um, I've got something on my website called the Wheel of Connection with these different quadrants that include kind of sexual um, connection, romantic connection, relationship dynamic, etc. So, yeah, you can basically figure out what's who you are, and mm-hmm. then find the people that would connect with that. One thing that also I went through this um, this journey, you know, when I discovered non-monogamy and polyamory I also thought oh now I can just have all the sex I ever wanted and I can go to sex parties and king clubs and experiment and which is true ultimately what I've learned is that no sex is better than mediocre sex <laughs> and that when I have the opportunity to build real connections with multiple people I can be so precise in exactly what what is you know about real authentic connection and anything else just no longer cuts it Right. So I'm not interested in, in kind of sexual anonymous or like one night stand kind of things because I'm not getting a real connection from that. Right. And even if I go to a party, like my goal is not to find somebody to have sex with. My goal is to make a real connection, which it may involve sex if that if that's what we want. But that's really not the objective at all, not a priority. Yeah. And that basically means that when I do have sex, I feel great about it. it it's something that adds value to both of us. Or more if there's more than two people, but it's, it is a nourishing experience. You know, it is a growth experience. And that's, yeah. And it's, um, I wish that this is something that people, you know, internalize and took on, but I also recognize that for some people, the, the exploration and the excitement of going on adventures and stuff like that is also part of the process. It's just like not doing it consciously and doing it respectfully and doing it in a way that doesn't hurt other people is really important so be very honest about what you're looking for is i think crucial not mislead people just to get your needs met without thinking about the other person's needs
0: right and and actually you touched on something that's really important to me is you know which and, and you've said this in other ways too is which part of you is it coming from is it coming from ego and the need to boost the ego Or is it coming from a part of you that genuinely is going to bask in that nourishing connection? Mm -hmm. You know, if it's just to satisfy an ego need, you maybe need to look at that in yourself and see what's really going on here. Maybe you'd still need to go and explore it outwardly, maybe, but to recognize where it's coming from in you, what part is looking for this thing? And is that the best way to satisfy it or nourish it or get that need met, right?
1: Totally. I mean, that's a big part of obviously my my kind of psychotherapy training is all about differentiating ego from self, right? And the kind of the, where is our authentic self? Where is the survival personality that was created in response to things that happen to us in in our life? And who is actually speaking for me right now? Is it a part of me that's right. part of that ego, or is it my authentic self? And and I, um, it's something that you need to kind of yeah learn for yourself and question. So. I think I mentioned earlier about like connecting to the body. The body is usually better at telling us what's authentic than the mind is. Our so mind can spin stories all the time, often based on fears and insecurities. So listening to the body, recognizing if the body response again is out of a trauma or out of the an authentic place again is important to understand what's the what is the trauma response there and how do I then manage to deal with it so I don't act out out of the trauma response. Exploring polyamory when you're specifically, if you're starting out in a monogamous partnership and then wanting to open the relationship and explore polyamory or explore non-monogamy in other ways. Oftentimes people are using methodologies and practices of communication that they used in monogamy and trying to apply them after they opened up. And that doesn't work. We really, um, one thing I've always say is like, you have to basically accept that your old relationship is dying, is dead, is gone, and you're starting a new relationship with the same person. So you need to find different tools. You got to step up your level of openness, of transparency, of honesty, and of compassion and generosity. So if we are used to this person always being attentive to our needs 24-7, like when we need them, they're there, but all of a sudden they're on a date. And we can't just say, Hey, I need you. I feel needy, like, come and give me a hug because they're not there. They're with somebody else and even worse in your imagination. They're giving somebody else the hug that you feel you deserve. Yeah. That's when jealousy becomes a real problem people have these, um, bodily feelings of, of basically, uh, of fear and dread that the person will leave them for somebody else that we left alone, that somebody else is better than them or good looking than them, better than them in bed, etc. And that's a lot of the uh, issues around jealousy that i see that i work with clients to process and to and to manage um so if the the starting process was would be hey let's let's accept that monogamy the our relationship the way we are used to it doesn't exist anymore let's like grieve for it let's like bury it essentially and build a new relationship with new tools let's look at individually do we have any codependency issues? Are we relying on each other, overly relying on in some areas? Are we enmeshed emotionally to the degree that if we were now alone for a week, we wouldn't be able to function, right? We need to deal with this before we start opening, before we date anybody else. We need to start thinking of ourselves as autonomous autonomous people with our own agency, to make rule, make decisions for ourselves, to make boundaries for ourselves, to have kind of separate lives, even while we are also connected. So that there's an important step that often people think missed out when they open really quickly and start exploring that then leads to a lot of heartache afterwards.
0: Yeah, 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 for sure. And, and although open relationships and, and polyamory isn't my specialty, I do have some clients that move into those relationships. And you know, my advice is always to go at the pace of the slower partner. Because if somebody, if you've said to somebody, hey, I think I'm polyamorous or I need to explore a little bit or whatever, and they say oh, okay, I'm a bit scared. I'm not close to it, but I want to have some conversations with you and I want to hear where it's coming, you know, then give them that, you know, like speak to them, help them, you know, rather than, hey, babe, I've changed my mind. on polyamorous. Now I'm, I'm going to start another relationship. That's going to destroy the relationship you already have. It probably not in the way that you intend, you know? And so like you said about compassion and kindness is so important, isn't it? and, and, of course, compassion and kindness to the part of you that maybe is blossoming or changing or evolving, and to whoever you're already in relationship with, yeah. to figure out how do we move forward. Yeah, yeah. my my partner and I we call ourselves monogamish mm. because we are.
1: Just um, credit credit. We're
0: monogamous.
1: Yeah, uh, just credit Dan Savage for that term.
0: Yeah. Oh, is that where it came from? Yeah. When we met, um. I said that I was pretty sure I was monogamous and he said that he, he thought he might be polyamorous, but he wasn't sure. And I said, okay. I said, that's fine. So there's something here. I hear that. I said, would you be willing to give me some time first just to build a foundation? And then if you feel that that's something you want to explore, I'm willing to give it a go. I said, I don't think it's what I am naturally, but I'm willing to give it a go. And so we got into relationship. And nothing came up for him for a while, you know, and at some point we discussed it. And he said, you know, this is what he actually said. You, you might like throw up a little in your mouth, but he said that because he had learned to be very present in each moment, every time we came to be sexual, which I know is different, the relationship, that he felt like he was with a new person every time we came together and that he didn't feel the need to explore outside, which is very beautiful. Of course, it soothed my monogamous heart and we carried on and then about five so we've been together 14 years now about five or six years ago so we both do a lot of personal development self-awareness work and we both realized that there was some stuff that we needed to explore sexually that wasn't going to work with each other okay and what we each wanted to explore was different he needed to explore some stuff that wasn't going to be a match here. I needed to explore some stuff that wasn't going to be a match. And so we said we'd open up the relationship for a little while to go and do this exploration. It was hilarious because we so we created some you know agreements and rules and then we set off and then we'd come back and go, well, that didn't work. Let's change the agreement. Let's change the rules. And we kind of kept navigating the whole time, you know, like what worked, what didn't. A lot of the fear came more from my side than his side. And as I worked through that, I was able to open and give more freedom and, you know, be more free and all of that. And then at some point, I think it was six months to a year later, both of us at the same time said, well, that was fun, but I'm done now. And then we kind of, you know, kind of brought it back. And and since then, we we now know that if either of us felt the need to go and do something, we have that freedom or we have that freedom to have that discussion. Yeah. Um, but it hasn't it hasn't come up since then. So whether it will or not, again, I don't know. But for me, that feels like total freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to claim any of the titles or labels and keep it. We can just move as suits us.
1: Yeah, freedom is. You know, you can come to your partner with anything that you that you need or want or desire, and you know that you can hear your partner's needs and desires. Even if you don't agree with it, you can listen. You know, without shutting them down that's the basic kind of precept of like for what it means to have freedom and autonomy in the, uh, relationship. Um, now there's autonomy and there's agency the autonomy is having the freedom to think and say what you want. Agency is having the freedom to act on it. And so th- there are different things. And, um, I think that, uh, sometimes when you're talking about, again, a couple that maybe wants to open or one part, one, one person, one partner wants more than the other, Maybe wants to go at a faster pace than the other, so I agree that the basic, the basic um, uh, direction here is talk as much as you can, talk until you can't talk anymore, and then talk some more. If somebody is not comfortable talking about relationships, don't explore non-monogamy, polyamory. Don't even go there, <laughs> because more than more than the sexual exploration, more than the dating, what you do the most of is talking about relationship. <laughs> yeah. And uh so yeah, so like not um I think that uh it's important to to respect when somebody needs to go slower at a slower pace, but also do the work to recognize what agency means to each person. Okay. So me, for example, and I am just using as an example, and I'm probably an outline that I really need a lot of freedom and a lot of agency. Which is partly why I choose to be solo polyamorous, meaning I live alone and I have multiple partners, but there's no hierarchy. There's no primary relationship. That doesn't mean that all partners get exactly the same out of me, the same time and energy and emotional um, intimacy that it it obviously depends on my connection with the person. But I don't, I wouldn't like choose one to be a priority or, uh, you know, a primary partner. And that also means that I have total agency on when I want to go on a date, who I want to see how long I want to see them for while coordinating and managing expectations with all the other people that I'm seeing. So nobody feels left out or ignored or not, you know, that their needs are not met. Right. It's a juggle. Mm-hmm. It's like a, 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 yeah, it's like a basically very carefully calibrated Jenga that you have to keep playing <laughs> in that sense. Yeah. Um, so if you're, but if you are, um, choosing to make a relationship primary, and the safety of that relationship is important to you. Again, uh, the, the process of understanding why we are together, what actually makes us want to be together. That's really important because if you work that out and you recognize what is, ab- what is about your unique connection that is special and unique, right? Then you don't necessarily need external validations of that by creating rules around, uh, what you can and cannot do with other people. Um, one thing i meant I, I did i mean i don't know if you've seen um when i was talking about veto power but uh, veto power is this idea that uh, if you are opening up your partner gets just to, to have a veto to have a say uh, over whether you can see somebody or not and oftentimes that happens early on in, a, in an opening up process of a relationship when you're worried that uh, your partner will fall in love with somebody else and leave you so you put these rules like okay you can date but you can't fall in love you can have sex but you can't fall in love or you can only go on one or three up to up to three dates, and then you have to stop seeing them to avoid the risk of falling in love. These are all rules you apply. You basically of controlling or limiting, restricting your partner, and that's basically what a rule is. It's usually about restricting the other the other person. Now a boundary is different because a boundary is something you a restriction or a protection you give yourself. So I can say, well, if my partner, for example, if we have an agreement that we use condoms and safe for sex practices with all other partners then i have a boundary that if my partner breaks that agreement i wouldn't have sex with them or i would not go have unprotected sex with them or i would feel they've breached my trust and leave i mean this again these are these are my actions what i can do punishing them or uh um requiring them to um act in a certain way Those are all kind of rules that don't necessarily work don't really work. Because unless you have a a clear agreement where you both want the same thing, people might say yes to a rule, but then either find ways to go around it or just build resentment towards you. So long term they don't work. Mm -hmm. That's why I always advocate for knowing what your boundaries are, holding dearly to those boundaries, like knowing that you can you can advocate for yourself, right? And then from that place create an agreement with your partner where both your boundaries are honored and met. Yeah,
0: (laughs) yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that about the Veto Power video of yours, because I watched that and also had a bit of a, but now you've explained it, I understand much better. That makes sense to me.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's like, we. there's no other real context, I think, where we allow other people to tell us how to live our life, what to do necessarily, right? I mean, obviously there's laws, People all do
0: that all the time, don't they? They let religion and culture and their society. You know, I, I have clients who, I have one that was, he was been married for 40 years and he came and told me that he's never done the one thing that really turns him on with his wife. And I was like, what's that? And he's like, I would just like to wear some rubber. And I was like, well, why don't you tell her? And he was like, he was terrified. You know, he was old school. He was in his mid to late sixties and for him he was brought up that monogamous relationship was the right way a and b that was the only safe way and he had been with her for so long he was afraid to be on his own yeah and so he just didn't dare tell her you know and and so in that case i was like well bring your rubber we'll hang out you know like it just isn't a big deal and even hearing that changed his life you know just having somewhere to say it but for him maybe opening up the relationship wasn't going to be the right thing to do. Finding somewhere safe to express themselves was. Whereas I have other clients where the first year we worked together, opening up wasn't the right thing, but eventually became the thing to take home and say, hey, you know what? I need to explore some stuff. I'd love to do it with you. Are you up for it? They got to know. And they said, how would you feel about me exploring with someone else? And it worked. You know, yeah. and they, they got to have agency and stay in the relationship. And I don't know, I'm, you know, what we're talking about is so, there's so many nuances and moving parts aren't there. And so no one way is gonna work for everyone, I don't think.
1: For sure. Again, it's it's like you said, it's about having the, um, first of all, uh, I guess the courage to risk expressing what, what it is that you want, you know, with your partner, to risk being vulnerable with your partner. I do find that um, you the way to build intimacy is through vulnerability. So it's, it's a good thing. It's not a, you know, it maybe is scary, but it's also a good thing. And it's an important thing to be able to be vulnerable with your partner. And if by expressing your, your true self and your desires, your partner rejects you in a way that can also end up for the, for the best, because you know that that partner doesn't really accept you for who you truly are. And that's also very important information to have. Because you may be better also than being alone or finding somebody else who will accept you for who you mm. are.
0: Right. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. And I want to go back to one point that you made that I think is crucial for any relationship, which is that in good communication, there's being willing to speak your truth and say who you are and be vulnerable. But equally, if not more important, is receiving that from your partner in a caring, loving way. If you if my partner came and said, Hey, I think I might be into rubber. I'm not going to shame him or say, well, I'm not, or i mean, I go, Oh, tell me about that. Uh-huh. You know, like, let me take it on board. Let it sink in. Let me feel into it. Do I have a bit of me that's into that? I'm not sure, you know, and to receive it well, as well is a huge part of communication, not just shutting the other person down because you're scared, you know?
1: yeah i mean that's really important uh i think a lot of people react when when they hear something that doesn't chime in with their own belief system oftentimes because of fear-based kind of thinking the first thing they jump to is oh if my partner isn't is into this thing that i'm not into then they won't want to be with me or they reject me or you know they're they going against my morality and right away i'm becoming defensive and i might mm. from that place just attack or criticize and i think that's that's uh it's really important to uh ask myself when i have a reaction is this reaction out of fear or out of love where is Mm -hmm. it coming from
0: yeah is it survival is it trauma you know is it i just was in the middle of having breakfast and i wasn't ready to for that kind of thing you know maybe choose your time when you talk about
1: it and again these are all things that you can negotiate and agree with a partner uh even when you're polyamorous even when everything is out on the table and open None you know, my partner maybe doesn't want to hear over breakfast that I'm going to have sex with another person tomorrow. Mm. Right. She may not want to, uh, get text to that where I tell her about my sexual exploits or like my dates with other people, but she's fine when we're sitting together and having a, you know, a direct discussion where we're like connected to hear those, that same information. Yeah. It's, I mean, um, yeah. If you're tired at the end of the day and you're, and, and you're stressed, you, just certain things you don't want to sort of have to think about. And that's fine. It's important to have that. Basic respect and understanding uh, and patience. Yeah. Of uh, course. That's really important. One thing that um, maybe is worth uh, bringing up specifically because I know your, a lot of your listeners are men is kind of masculinity. And how does that interact and relate with Paul polyamory? There's a lot of uh, the feedback and the backlash from the mainstream kind of society, mainstream media, from a lot of people who are firmly kind of in the monogamous camp is that either you're a cuck, basically. Oh, yeah. Um, Cuckold. holding, yeah. yeah. If you allow, quote unquote, your partner to have sex with other men, right? There is within the kind of multigamous and monogamous communities as well, there's a lot of people who are holding on to a certain kind of idea of masculine, of kind of toxic masculinity that means they insist on being the only man. That their partner can have sex with, but they can ha- have sex with other women, but not other men, because that is a threat, mm. right? And it's called a one penis policy (OPP). <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why would you want to limit the penis?
1: <laughs> well, because there's some fear that somebody else's penis yeah. is going to be better than yours, I guess, right? It's yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a there's a lot of uh, again, it, it's it is. I think that's uh, coming from the ego and a lot of fear. It's also minimizing the value and importance of same-sex se- same, same relationships, of lesbian relationships, for example, right? Thinking that, oh, she can't fall in love with uh, another woman, but with another man, she might run off. That's not true.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, the sex won't be as good with a woman as it would be with me.
1: Exactly, but Yeah. yeah or, okay. or a woman can uh, can give her something that I can't give her, but a guy with a penis can give her something I, I'm already giving her. Right. Uh, and again, that, that's uh, similar to what I was uh, discussing before, is like you're placing your notion of safety in a structure rather than in your unique connection, right? right? Nobody can give her what your penis can give her because this is your penis and it's attached to you and she loves you, right? And that's, so I think it's important. I mean, for me, it was really helpful through Polyamory to explore all these um, concepts of toxic masculinity and totally destroy them for me. And I'm working on that with other clients. And it's, it's a way of actually recognizing that Oftentimes, even though society has this stigma around men are always out for sex and women just want to tie somebody down and and basically (laughs) marry them and have lots of kids with them, that's not really true. And most of the time in polyamorous environments, the women are the ones that are essentially running the show. (laughs) And when couples want to open up, it's often the women that are much faster at feeling comfortable in this lifestyle and, and part of it is also because they're already, women are often socialized to express their emotions, to talk about their emotions. Men are not. Men are socialized to, uh, either, you know, to have basically, yeah, to either say everything is okay and suppress everything or be angry. Yeah. And anger and then is a mask for all the other emotions, yeah. fear, sadness, uh, insecurity, etc, cetera. It's all just comes out of anger. So for us men, there's a lot of unlearning to do and a lot of exploration of how can we express our, all of our, range of emotions how do we recognize we have a range of emotions and now do we how do we become vulnerable with our partners
0: Mm, beautiful and that applies to any relationship style doesn't it
1: totally Mm. yeah of course
0: i just wanted to ask you one other thing only because i've been trying to remember it and i can't remember there's a beautiful word that i can't remember that is the opposite of jealousy is it so you're
1: thinking you're thinking of compersion
0: Persian, that's the word. And I
1: want to just um, correct uh, the assumption of many people that it's the opposite of jealousy because it's not. Right. Yeah,
0: okay. please do.
1: So jealousy, first of all, is not an emotion. It is an umbrella term for lots of different feelings that we have. And I mentioned earlier, you know, the kind of insecurities and fears of abandonment, of loss of control, of, you know, uh, it can also be envy where you're not like jealous, but you are envious because your partner is doing something fun that you wanted to do. And it's not like mm-hmm. you're, you want to take it away from them, but you also want to experience it. So that's envy. Now, compersion is that sympathetic joy. It's basically witnessing a partner enjoying themselves, being happy through something that you're not involved with, not through your own actions and being happy, genuinely happy for them. And that gives you also a sense of happiness because you love them and it makes you happy when they're happy. Right. That's compersion. But it's not, it's not directly opposite of jealousy because you can still have an insecurity that mm. you experience as a negative emotion while also being happy for them. Right. So the, the origin of the feeling is different. Um, jealousy is very much about myself. Okay. I'm feeling this. Compersion is I'm sensing my partner's feeling. So I'm okay. thinking about them, not about myself.
0: Okay. Okay. That makes so much sense. So they're not, they're not opposite or exclusive. Basically.
1: Yeah. They're not, they're not. So the opposite of compersion is.
0: Apathy maybe. Apathy
1: maybe. Opposite of jealousy is security. Interesting. I'm feeling secure. So I'm not afraid of that, of those things. So, yeah. So they're not uh, opposite and they can both experience at the same time. Now, it's true that if your, if your jealousy, um, uh, reaction is very strong, you would, you may not realize that there's compersion there. It just, there will not be focus on it. All the focus in your body is on the negative feelings.
0: Right. So it's also true
1: when you're you can practice compersion and the more you build up that ability to feel compersive, um, it helps to manage when feelings of jealousy come up. and will be like, well, okay, I know I'm insecure, but also I'm really happy for them and I want them to have this experience so I can live with this insecurity, you know? Because it's really important yeah. for me not to show them that I'm upset or, you know, and, and, and then I don't want to like lie to them and say I'm, everything is fine when it's not, but I can be like, I can say very openly, I have some fears and insecurities that, you know, I don't know, that you'll fall in love with this person and, and leave me. At the same time, I don't need you to do anything about it because I know that this is good for you and I want you to have this experience and I will deal with these feelings. And when you yeah. come back and tell me you love me, I'll be like, oh, yeah, it wasn't really that worried. I didn't have to worry about it, you know?
0: That is and beautiful. it gets easier over time. Yeah, that's very much what our journey was when we were open for a while. Like at first it was like, okay, Parts and and we would name them if we could. It might be like some small six year old me in the corner is really scared that this is it and you're going to abandon her, but adult me feels great. So I just need you to know that's there because if I don't tell you it's there, you're going to feel it. Of course, it's going to feel like a lie. So so sometimes we could name it specifically, like I know this is six year old me or I know this is. And other times we, you could, we couldn't name it. We could just say, that, look, there's a sliver of me that's a little uncomfortable. I'm going to sit with her while you go and have fun, which I'm really grateful you're doing. And then holding the paradox of all of it. You know, it does take work though. It takes work.
1: It takes work. And sometimes it takes therapy or coaching. Sometimes it takes calling a friend and moaning to them and, and wanting to hear how great you are. I've done some work around asking actually my followers as well, what do they do to help them with that? You know, to kind of, uh, to basically um calm them when they are feeling insecure when their partner is away on a date and there's a range of like things that you can do both from like calling a friend organizing a date for yourself organizing a friend's night out you know having a nice bath and pampering yourself even like uh, asking your partner to leave some uh, recorded messages or a letter that uh, um validates your connection and you can read it or listen to their voice yeah self-care basically can help with that yeah
0: beautiful oh i could talk to you for ages i think it's really important to let people know that there's lots of ways of relating and there's lots of ways of expressing having relationship styles and sexual styles you know and that we're not even taught anything it's just assumed that we are straight monogamous vanilla you know like and god forbid you're anything outside of that which face it most people are outside of that somewhere you know somehow so it's that's awesome i'm so grateful to chat to you about this is there anything left over that you feel is important that we didn't put in the conversation?
1: I guess we could talk about this for hours and hours. So <laughs> maybe we'll do a, a you know a part two sometime. But um, right. yeah, I just invite people to visit my website, openrelating.love. There's uh, some videos on there. There's articles around abundance mindset as well and, and, and scarcity mindset, which is just what you just mentioned, right? The idea of scarcity is basically where we are limited to these like options of heterosexual, monogamous sexual relationship, for example. And we can't think beyond that. So opening up to an abundance mindset opens up all the possibilities. And mm-hmm. I mean, like I grew up, and this is not about polyamory. But I grew up um, believing I'm heterosexual and having this kind of stigma about homosexuality because it was around me. And once I started exploring lots of different things, I've also decided, well, why don't I just explore that as well? Now, now I know I'm heterosexual, but if I hadn't like at least explored it and, and like try to see if I like it, I wouldn't know for sure. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, you can say yes to more things. You can explore and you can choose, you can have, again, autonomy and agency to decide if it's right for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we don't, if we're not aware of the options, then we'll be limited to one thing. And then we may be unhappy all our lives and not even know why we're unhappy. Yeah.
0: So important. Um amazing yeah we might have to do a part or two at some point because i could talk to you for ages yeah. um so we'll we'll link to your website and your instagram and wherever else um, people can find you in the show notes and thank you so much for coming on that was really great thank you
1: my pleasure it's been great talking to you thanks
0: thank you for listening to the sexual alchemy podcast with rebecca lowry if this podcast has aroused your curiosity and you'd like to take things further you can get a copy of my free video training Reclaiming Your Intuitive, Confident, Sensual Self. The link is in the show notes below, wherever you are listening.